It was something I learned quickly on was going to be part of the job. It wasn't really something you sign up for, I don't think, to be a reporter, to deal with those kinds of attacks. I think the way to deal with it is to not make it about yourself. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hey, everyone. It's Danielle. Today, our guest is Caitlin Collins. She is the co-anchor and chief correspondent for CNN This Morning, CNN's revamped morning show, which you can watch every weekday from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern. And before Caitlin sat at the anchor desk, she was clocking into work at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue as CNN's youngest ever chief White House correspondent. Since her early days in journalism, she's been known for asking tough questions, wearing great turtlenecks, and (laughs) cheering on the University of Alabama football team. Caitlin, thank you for being here, and welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Thank you for having me. I had a turtleneck on this morning, but I took a nap, and I just took it off because it was a million degrees here in Washington. (laughs) So sorry to disappoint. (laughs) They've got to be annoying to to nap in. (laughs) So that brings me to my first question. In the lightning round, quick questions, quick answers. Let's get into it. What time do you wake up? Do you want me to scare you? Yes. I want the honest answer. Sleeping in for me is 3.45. I normally get up at 3.15 every day, Monday through Friday. Is that what time you have to get up? Or are you like insane on top of that? And like, do you try to work out in the mornings? Don't tell me you meditate or do something. Okay. Yeah. Nope. 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 I have gotten a lot of advice to work out. Like whenever I was starting this, that was the first thing everyone asked me. Everyone was like, are you going to work out? Are you going to meditate? Are you going to journal? What are you going to do? And I was like, absolutely not. Just getting up on its own is a is a beast. And it's also so different because my schedule before was I could get out, work out, get right in, then go to the White House. So it's like totally different. No, 315 is, I think, kind of the mandatory minimum to get up, to read in and to head to work. And then do you take a nap when you go off air? It's so weird because I probably took like five naps my whole life before this job started November 1st. I'm now a professional napper because if you can even just get like 15 minutes, it changes your whole day. I have the aura ring, so it's always like constantly disappointed in me and is like, please just take a nap like for five minutes. (laughs) And then what time do you go to bed? If I'm being really good, I'll go to bed by like eight o'clock if I really want to start the week off right. But, you know, last night, I think I went to bed at 1230 and I got up at three this morning because we started the show at 5 a.m. And that's like cutting it close. But you don't really have to prepare as much then because you watched the State of the Union. So you're like ready to go. You already know everything that happened the night before. So you kind of have your questions in your head. How much caffeine do you consume in the morning? So much. I'm literally drinking coffee right now. Uh, It's not just in the morning. I drink it all day long because I make a pot at my house because I like to bring some with me. There's no coffee stores open. I don't know if anyone knows this at three o'clock in the morning, even in New York. And so so I make my own. I bring it in. Then I'll make another one when I'm there. And then I'll usually get one on the way home sometime around two o'clock in the afternoon. So you've lived in Alabama, where you're from, D.C. and New York. What is your favorite of the three? 
well, I have to say Alabama or I'm not going to be like left back in the state. Yeah. What are your thoughts on New York so far? I love it. And this is interesting because when I used to visit New York, like I liked it. It was fine. I think living there is so different than visiting there and actually being there, having a home base, having a neighborhood, having your favorite restaurants. It totally changes the New York game for me. I've just found it delightful. Like all the cliches about New York are true. Happy to report. (laughs) (laughs) What is the most surprising thing about working at the White House? The briefing room is so much smaller than you think. Every time, without fail, when you bring someone to visit the White House and you show them, you know, here's the CNN seat in the briefing room, they're kind of like underwhelmed. They're like, this is a lot smaller than I thought. What is the last TV show you binge watch? Oh, you know what I'm rewatching right now? I think this is something that I've seen a lot of people doing, some of my friends doing, is uh, I'm rewatching Girls. And obviously, the last time I watched it was back in college. But rewatching it now and actually getting the New York references has been fun. But other than that, I don't watch a ton of TV. I watch CNN basically all day long. My only other favorite show that I have to give a shout out to is White Lotus because I think it's one of the smartest, funniest, greatest shows. And I cannot get enough of it. What's something we can't Google about you? Ooh, that's a good question. What can you not Google about me? There's like some random things about me that are on Google, I would say, that are not true. Like one time, I'll never forget my dad called me, my sweet, dear dad that I'm very close with. And he said, a friend of mine called me and said on Google, it says you're making $125,000 a month. And I was like, do you think that's true? Do you think that's why I'm flying like coach home for the holidays? (laughs) He's like, so so I would like some better presents. I think it's been even funnier just seeing, like, the things that are about me on Google. Even my own family has, like, asked me to fact check. And I'm like, Dad, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last lightning round question. How did you find your first full-time job? It was hard. And I tell this to young women a lot. But basically, I was graduating from Alabama. And I really wanted to move out of the South and live in a city and just do something different. I applied for everything. Anything I saw, I applied for, even if it sounded like way out of my wheelhouse. If it was like in the political journalism sphere, I applied for it. And uh, I got an internship through like this third party program that landed me at my first outlet in Washington. And I interned there for two months and then they hired me. That's how I got my first job. And that was the Daily Caller? Yes. But I'd interned there for two months before they were like, well, we'll hire you. Like, It's hard to get a job out of college. It's very, very hard. And so I sympathize with everyone who is doing it. And not only did you get a job, but you got a job that propelled you into an even bigger job pretty early on. I think, yes, it is very hard to get a job. And I I frequently say, especially in media and politics, to get your foot in the door. What's some advice on being a standout? Because the whole game there is like, you got to get your foot in the door, but then you have to kind of convince them to keep you? If I had one piece of advice, it's working hard and it's doing the things that a lot of other people don't want to do. Or, you know, I think you kind of get into this mindset at 22 that if you're not doing exactly what you want to do, then it's not worth doing. And I don't think that's true. I think a lot of professional life is building relationships and showing people that you're a hard worker They can count on you. You're dutiful. And then those people will speak your gospel someday to someone, hopefully. Like those people will hopefully be someone who helps you get your next job. And I think that's almost as important as doing the work when you're like 22 or 23 and getting out of college 
And so I would say the best way to set yourself apart is not being the smartest, funniest, prettiest person in the room. It's being the hardest worker. No doubt in my mind. Talk to me a little bit about Daily Caller, Tucker Carlson, conservative leaving site. When you started out, were you looking for that? No. I I mean, I truly, I'm telling you, I cast this wide net. I wish I could go back and see my college email and see like all of these things I applied for because I think it would make me laugh today because it also shows you how much life is just a series of decisions. Like when I got the internship, I thought I was moving to Orange County. It was this like whole joke within my family now. We were like looking at housing in Orange, Orange County. We were like, we don't know anyone in Orange County. And then the internship program called to me. They said, no, we're placing you with this outlet called The Daily Caller in Washington, which I'd never heard of. And so then we were like, oh, I'm moving to D.C. Like it was this like whirlwind month for my family. And we laugh back on it now because Washington became such a special place to me. And so, no, it was it was kind of a total surprise for me. But I think the most important part of it was not even the ideology of The Daily Caller, but being in a workplace for the first time is such a lesson in and of itself for so many people in a professional workplace. You know, I've always had jobs, but in a professional workplace. Talk to me a little bit about the journey to CNN. So we hear that you end up getting approached, meeting then head of CNN, Jeff Zucker, and ultimately down the road that leads to a job offer. How did that journey go? So there was a key part of that in between that meeting with him, which was I started covering the White House for the Daily Caller the day Trump took office. They didn't have a White House reporter. They asked me to do it. I had no idea how to cover the White House. We didn't even really know how to like get into the White House. It was like you have to like apply through this process with Secret Service to get in. We didn't have a seat in the briefing room. I would go to the briefing before, you know, Sean Spicer would brief like three hours in advance to get like one empty seat. And I would just plant myself there. And, you know, I did it for like three months. But being in those briefings, which were must-see television at the time because they were unlike any other White House briefing in the history of White House briefings, it paid off because I went every single day and I asked questions. And I think people were a little surprised that someone from a conservative-leaning outlet was challenging Sean Spicer on some of the claims that he was making. I thought nothing of it. I was like, well, this is my job. I'm a White House reporter. And I learned from so many of the other great reporters in the room how to do that effectively. And it was after that that I happened. I'd gone CNN a few times as a guest and as a reporter and there is the White House Correspondents Weekend in Washington. It's famous. It's in April. Everyone goes, and there's all these, like, events surrounding it. And CNN throws this White House Correspondents Brunch on Sundays. I was, like, a plus one plus one. Like, I wasn't even supposed to be at this event. Like, I was barely allowed in the door. But I was there, and I was with a friend. I saw Jeff Zucker, and I'd gone on CNN. They'd been really respectful of me and very, you know, focused on my reporting whenever I came on. So I just went and introduced myself and I said, you know, thanks for having me on. I actually never thought I would work for CNN, surprisingly. It wasn't like some goal in my mind or any something I'd really considered. And that kind of like that day changed my life. And then what happened from there? I think that a lot of people always wonder what the step is like because it seems easy when you're talking about it, right? That like, oh, you meet someone and it it just magically leads to it. And there are steps in between especially when it involves, in in this case, thinking about, as you said, a place you started out, you made a name for yourself, and then going to a, a huge network. I think two things are really important in life and in moments like that. One is opportunity. And I had the opportunity to go work at CNN. 
The other is hard work and what you do with that opportunity, because it's not a given that just because you have the opportunity that you're going to be successful. It's also not a given that just because you work hard, you're going to be. You need to have opportunities. And so when I started at CNN, CNN's a massive organization. And I was blown away by the resources that they had here, that I could hear a tip from a source at the White House and have a colleague who would help me confirm it. I I just never had that before. And the White House team at CNN is incredible. And I came in and I was just blown away by it. And I also really wanted to be in it and be part of that and be reporting alongside everyone. And so I just kind of threw myself into it. And I met with all these people in the White House. And I just worked really hard. And I went to a million source meetings and I made a million phone calls. And that helped set me apart in such a a historic moment in our country of the White House coverage. And yeah, I'm so grateful for it. Like, I, I, I'm i such a loser. I used to, like, walk into the White House and just be like, I'm so grateful to work here every day. Like, even, like, four years in. Like, I just really loved it. That's a great feeling. I, I hope everyone has that feeling in their career at, at some point in their lives. Me too, because it changes your life. Like, if you really like what you're doing and really enjoy it, it shows. And everyone can tell. Let's talk about the not-so-fun parts of of your job. Working in TV news, there's basically like zero work-life boundaries, especially if you're working in politics. How do you deal with that? Poorly. (laughs) Really, I do, but especially during the Trump years. But I mean, even anytime, because breaking news is breaking news. And if you love news, you never want to miss a story. But it does affect your work-life balance. And A big part of it has been my family and my friends, making time for them and making sure, you know, I always answer the phone. I I have four siblings. If one of them is calling me, I don't ever not answer, regardless of who I'm meeting with or what I'm doing. I always answer just because I don't want them to think I'm like unavailable to them. So that's been a big part of it, making time to go home. You know, I missed my little brother's high school graduation because the president was traveling overseas for a really big trip and it was difficult to miss it. And so moments like that where you have to make a decision. And it was really tough for me to miss it. He was like, I don't care. It's fine. I'll see you next weekend when you come home. But moments like that are really challenging. And so it's difficult to balance. I don't have a perfect solution to it. But I know it's something that a lot of people struggle with. Something we're asking all of our guests this season is, can you share a moment where you felt stuck or like things were out of control? And given the White House you covered when you came into it, I am sure there there is something. And how did you how did you go through it and regain some sense of control for yourself? There were some moments in the Trump White House that I think took on a different layer than covering past White Houses, which is in the sense of the relationship with the media and people who worked in the White House. And it certainly doesn't apply to everyone who worked there. But there were a lot of people who they wanted to undermine the media. They wanted to make you look like you hadn't done your homework or like you were a hypocrite because they thought that was an effective way to undermine your reporting and that people wouldn't trust your reporting. And every day, it wasn't that I felt out of control, but I felt like I had to do so much prep to be ready for those moments because I never wanted that to happen because I knew what it would mean and I knew like the implications it could have. And so that was a moment where I know a lot of White House reporters felt like we're doing our the best we can. We're like, just trying to get the truth and the story of what's going on inside this White House, which is our job. But it felt like you had this like force against you with White House officials who, you know, they were talking about your personal life, like your personal characteristics, things like that. And they weren't afraid to do it. And it was just 
fascinating to see people in positions of power doing that. And I think it was hard on a lot of reporters. And I mean, you certainly had that during your time covering the Trump White House. You were banned from the Rose Garden and you were called an activist by the press secretary. How do you deal with that? And I mean, there's how you deal with it professionally as a journalist, which is one thing. But how do you deal with it personally? It was something I learned quickly on was going to be part of the job. It wasn't really something you sign up for, I don't think, to be a reporter, to deal with those kinds of attacks or the fact that you might get banned from an event that you're supposed to be covering for work. I think the way to deal with it is to not make it about yourself. And that was really important to me is that I wanted to have this level of composure in those kinds of moments because I never wanted someone to think it was personal between, you know, Kaylee McEnany and I. It wasn't. It was the way she chose to do her job. And the only thing I could control is the way I did my job. And I thought the most effective way to handle that is just with class and with grace and just to focus on the work and not focus on the personal aspects of it or let it get under your skin. Don't get distracted by them yelling at you in the briefing or whatever. The point of it is that they're not answering your question, you know. So that's really what you got to remind people about. Not that she's going after you, but she didn't answer my question that I had for her on something the president did, you know. That's a really mature answer, both professionally and (laughs) as a person, especially at a a very heated moment. Who do you go to for advice? I have a lot of mentors, I think, and especially ones that I found at CNN. That's one of the best things about CNN. And I'm, I'm not someone who's just like, oh, my gosh, everything's perfect. Everything's great. But like, truly, I found these mentors at CNN that I, I'd been looking for, I feel like, my whole life. And people who were deeply invested, people who had been around, they'd seen moments where they could offer advice on how they thought was the best way to conduct yourself. I also I have this one professor in college who was incredible. He was a journalism professor of mine, Aaron Suttles. And I would go back to him often and ask for advice. And so I would go to people like that and just and, and talk to them. But also there's so many women who work at CNN who they've been through that. They have an idea of what that's like. Someone tries to intimidate you or bully you out of asking a question or reporting a story. And I would just watch a lot of my fellow White House reporters and how they handled it. In the time you've been with with CNN, it's certainly gone through a lot of, of turmoil from leadership changes, a merger, layoffs, uh, CNN Plus. I'm sure that you have seen from the inside navigating a kind of a chaotic workplace. What advice do you have for people in navigating their own kind of workplace politics or when there is change outside of your control in an organization? The big thing to remember, I think, is that you can't control it. You have to remember what your job is and what other people's jobs are. And there are people who are at the corporate level. That is their job. This is their world. It is their decision you fretting over it is not going to change anything. And I think the best thing to keep in mind, and and CNN has had a lot of changes, is to focus on what's the work? What does that need to look like? What is your job? What can you make a difference in? And mine was always, you know, despite what was going on in media writ large, was there's a White House briefing today, or I've got this interview with the new oversight chair coming up, I think really all you you have to can only control what you can control and focus on your job and focus on doing the best job that you can, because that's the best way to serve your colleagues and where you're working and what you want that to look like, I think. You have accomplished a lot in, in a short amount of time in your career, which is amazing. Thank you. How do you balance bringing I'm assuming what has made you successful, which is 
one you seem to to just have a natural fearlessness and obviously work ethic and credibility and also manage to kind of build camaraderie with the people who have come before. I think that's sometimes really tricky for people that rise the ranks in an organization quickly is how do they continue to lean into this fresh approach while also respecting people who have been doing it longer? I think being humble and realizing that everyone can learn from everyone because, yes, I have had quite a, a journey over these last you know nine years or so. And I work really hard, but there are some things that you can't learn except from living them and from experiencing them and from being there. And so relying on those people who have come before you, who have been there, who have done it for two decades or three decades or whatnot, you can learn so much from them. I think one of the greatest lessons in this life for anyone in any job is people who've done it before you and who know what it's like, because I think you can't learn some of that stuff. You just have to experience it. And so I, I always try to learn from people who have who've been there before. I did this at the White House. You know, I'd say to some of the photographers who'd been shooting at the White House for 40 years, is this normal? Like, did Clinton do this? Did Bush do this? And they would have some of the best advice on that kind of stuff. And if you are a young professional, one of the best things you can do is rely on people who have been there and done that before you. Even if you have a different approach and things are different in your current space, you can still learn so much from them. And I think it's wisdom that's priceless, kind of. One thing that I've glossed over in all of this is just that you came into a really intimidating professional setting and you seem to kind of not have anything rock you. Is that a true assessment? Is that an act? Like, how do you do a like a pump up jam ritual before you go into a briefing? <laughs> Were you nervous? I think I was nervous at the beginning, definitely, because anytime you're in a new setting, for me personally, like I get a little like, it's kind of like what could happen? It's the unknown that I think freaks people out, understandably. I think one of the best mindsets you can have is don't go in there with this expectation of exactly what's going to happen, what this is going to look like, and what you're going to ask, because you don't have a clue. And I think being open to changing things quickly is a great skill for anyone in life, but especially for something like that. And what comes to mind is there was a briefing during COVID. You know, there's only like 10 of us in the room because of the restrictions. So what you asked was super important because you might be one of 10 reporters who got to question the president that day. And Trump walks in and he's like, I've decided we're reopening the country on Easter. And I had these all these questions prepared on like, I don't know, something about 15 days to slow the spread or whatever. And I was just like, why Easter? Did a doctor recommend that or did did HHS recommend that? CDC? He was like, I just like it. It's just a good date that he had picked in his mind. And it's a moment like that where you have to make sure that you're ready to like not just stick to the script and like you've got to be able to change things. Or the moment's just going to pass you by. Your professional job is to ask pointed questions and negotiate in a way to get all of the information for the public. And you do that very well. Do you have that same ability to do so for yourself when it comes to navigating your career and, and kind of negotiating on behalf of what you want? What do you mean specifically? Like, do you mean in, I in feel like life or professional or? Professionally, I think something we've noticed from doing 
a lot of these interviews is at times when people are very good at asking questions for a living or negotiating for someone else for a living, at times we've seen that it's actually harder for them to do it on behalf of themselves. And I think for anyone who is going through in this environment, thinking about their career, so much of it is how do you negotiate for yourself and knowing how to do that. I also think another layer of that is being a woman negotiating for yourself because, you know, I just recently walked my sister through this when she was changing jobs and she was negotiating a contract. And I was, I know this will shock you, I was very like hard charging about it and very blunt and like, you should ask her X, Y, Z. And she was like, I can't ask for that. And I was like, why? And she was like, that's a good point. I don't know. I don't know why I think I can't ask that. And I think that is something you have to keep in mind in life. And it's definitely a lesson I could take from from briefings and apply to moments like that is that you have to be your own best advocate and only you know what you really want. I think a big part of that is don't think about what do other people think you should be doing? What do you want? And if you've consulted people who are wiser than you and think, you know, this is the best method for this, you've got to be a strong advocate for yourself always because No one else is going to do it, not out of like malice or anything like that, but just no one else, you know, has as much stake in your life and your future as you do. So you have to be the one who is in charge of that and is thinking five steps ahead in that sense and definitely seek advice from other people. I think that's one of the biggest things you can do in life. You don't have to take it, but you should definitely seek it. And but you have to negotiate for yourself at the end of the day. You have recently been in in this new role as co-anchor on CNN this morning. It's definitely a change. How is it going? It's a huge change. And it's funny how you can be in the same business and the same company, but you change jobs and everything is different. A big part of it has been moving because I was in Washington for so long. But I'm finally settling in in New York and I'm really enjoying it. But it's been fun because it's this new challenge And sometimes you don't always realize you need a new challenge until one presents itself, a new opportunity. And I think that's what this is. When Chris came to me and offered me this role on this show, it was kind of a no-brainer because, A, I knew he has deep experience with morning shows. He really cares about morning shows. He sees how they can really drive the news cycle. And it definitely piqued my interest because, you know, it's so different from the White House, which is a more reactive news cycle. It's like asking for responses or what is the president's position on this? The morning is totally different because that's what people are waking up and seeing and starting their day with. A few more questions while we wrap up. So we have a listener question from Casey. What are the biggest public speaking mistakes you see people make? And what's your best piece of public speaking advice? Be confident. It's hard because I think people get so in their head about coming out and and speaking But people who are watching someone speak publicly want you to do well. They're rooting for you. They want to listen to you. They want to hear something interesting. And I think if you're going to go and speak publicly, don't have this script of every exact word you're going to say. I tried to do that when I started at CNN, actually. I would try to write down every single word I was going to say in my reports. And then, like, I'd watch myself, and it was—you weren't even paying attention to what I was saying because it was just kind of boring and weird, and it's not how people talk. And I just like stopped taking notes. Like I would just go out there and I'd be like, okay, here are the three points I want to make. Let's do this. And it came across so much better and more digestible for people who are watching. And I think that's important if you're going to speak publicly. Make eye contact with people. Look up. Don't have super comprehensive notes. Have a few bullet points. But be confident. 
Do you watch the morning show? I watched season one. Okay. I have not seen season two, but I really related. I watched season one, you know, when it came out and Jennifer Aniston's like in her house and she's blow drying her hair before she's going to get in the car in the morning. I'm like, that's now me. That's how I feel. Except I leave my house with wet hair. I do not (laughs) dry my own hair. Why don't they do your hair and makeup? That feels like a waste of time. Yeah. Well, at the White House, I always did my own hair and makeup after COVID just because during COVID we stopped that and it was just easier to do it myself. And then now that's like a whole new thing for me. Final question. Who is someone else we should have on this show? Ooh, I love that. You should have Stephanie Rule on. Oh, we haven't had her on yet. She is on MSNBC. She's hilarious. I just met her the other day and we have a lot of mutual friends. And all my mutual friends are like, she's so funny and she's incredibly smart. And she explains business in such a relatable sense. She is someone who is really good at talking about those kinds of things in plain terms. But she also has this biting sense of humor. And I think she's great. Well, Caitlin, we hope you get some sleep. And thank you so much for joining us today. It was really nice to meet you. Well, thank you for having me. And as someone who does ask questions for a living, these were all great questions. And I love this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise.